spokenly. He lurked in the shadows, waiting and hoping she wouldn't take a different room. This was a usual room. He knew that. He knew her. Ghost of Me, the new book by Amanda Steele, can be found at Amazon, Kobo, Waterstones and many, many other places. Spokenly. Hi guys, it's Andy N. Thanks today for downloading or streaming yet another episode of Spoken Label. As you may or may not be aware, Spoken Label was started in the beginning of 2006, and currently we have well over 150 sessions recorded and sent. Although you can find it on various networks, the full archive is available for streaming and downloading at Spoken Label. Full stop, bandcamp.com. It is a free download or free stream in there. But obviously, if you feel like chucking me a few pennies that way, it'd be eternally grateful to help me keep this podcast going and keep improving my equipment, etc. Enjoy. Speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Spoken Hi, guys. Andy N. Spoken Able. Back in the house. We're over in Zoom land again today. Uh, kudos to my good friend Rosie today and Rosie has sent over to me another uh, friends today and I've got a gentleman with me called Stephen Coates. Stephen I actually knew already is with a band and the band of course is the real Tuesday Weld but we're going to talk to Stephen about his upcoming first start of a trilogy of last albums of this project and other bits and pieces so Stephen would you like to introduce yourself first everybody tell them obviously a little bit about yourself where all your creativity came from and we'll take it from there. Well, hi, Andy, and thanks for having me on the show. You were just saying before that this is your 200 and something. That's absolutely amazing. So I'm really pleased to be here. Macarin, I'm, Macarin. <laughs> I, I, so I'm Stephen Coachier. Um, I am, or I'm in the Real Tuesday World, which is a band, and we've been going for about 20 years. And, um, you know, people say, what does that mean, the Tuesday, Real Tuesday World? Well, Tuesday World is or was an American actor, actress as we used to say and uh, she's still alive but um, she doesn't act anymore and uh, the reason that I call the band The Real Tuesday World is that when I was thinking about starting up as I'm having a band I had these three very powerful dreams at the time and one of those dreams was about the actor Tuesday World. I think it was because when I was a kid um, I saw a film called The Cincinnati Kid uh, with Steve McQueen and her in it. And it really landed with me, that film, when I was very small. I don't know why. Um, so uh, it, she must have stuck in my mind. Anyway, so so it popped in. I thought, well, that's an interesting name, Tuesday World. So uh, for a while, actually, I was just called Tuesday World. And I, then we thought, well, people are going to get confused. Uh, I don't know how they get confused between a glamorous American actor and um, me. But uh, just in case they did, we decided to call it The Real Tuesday World. So that's how it all started. And that was... Hell of a long time ago. Wow. I've seen the film, actually. I saw that when I was at university. I was at uni 20 years ago. I remembered it well. I thought it was a really good film it was at the time. And also, I remember the first hearing about your band some years ago, and I thought to myself, what a name for a band. Now, obviously, the people that are interested in your band itself, I know you've done quite a few albums over the years, haven't you? And what I can make out is at least six, and the page on Wikipedia seems a bit more vague on that one. But... Have you found that over time with the band, has your approach to actually the albums changed much? 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I think there's probably six or seven. Is and it gets a bit complicated because I've done all, as well as those. We've done like myriad EPs and singles and collaborations with other people, and a lot of collaborations with animators actually. So for me, the um, it's an interesting time, I think, Andy, because uh, for me, the album, you know, was always like a bit, a bit of a concept thing in itself, you know. So um, I did an album called I Lucifer back in the day, and that was a soundtrack to uh, a book, uh, a book by a friend of mine, Glenn Duncan, who's a writer, and I Lucifer is a soundtrack to his book. Another album I did uh, about 10 years ago, which is called Songs for the Last Werewolf, is another soundtrack to another one of his books. Um, it's a set of songs, but um, it's books, it's songs inspired or connected with the books. And then my other albums, they had a kind of rough concept. And I think that that was always the thing for me is to try and group it around a concept. Now, these days, it's quite interesting because, of course, you could say, in a sense, what is the album? You know, we live in a Spotify era, which is amazing, by the way. And, and you know, with the advent of iTunes and then Spotify, it's like, in some respects, the album doesn't really exist anymore. But it is a useful framework to release stuff. And... Um, so over the years, you know, I was fortunate enough to be the generation that signed to a record label. I was signed to a big indie in the UK and a, and a big indie in America. And, you know, I, I sort of came out at that time when, when, you know, albums came out on CDs, you know, and there was, a, there was a whole thing around the physical thing, you know, and I'm really pleased that I got that, you know, but on my shelf in here somewhere, it's got all the CD stuff. And of course, it's not really like that anymore. I mean, we've got, thank God we're going through a vinyl uh, renaissance. Oh, yeah. Put stuff on vinyl, you know, because it's very difficult otherwise, even though people, and I'm one of them, don't really um, consume music in the way that we used to, like, you know, an album. You know, we, we all enjoy Spotify and stuff. It's still a useful thing for an artist, I think, to to you know conceptually to group a, a series of recordings. So, I think it has changed a lot, and a lot of that's good, you know. Yeah. Now, what I like about you as well is, and I'm looking back at, and I don't, I can't go, into, I don't want to go tons of detail on this. Let people discover them for yourselves. It's, the, I love the fact when looking at all the remixes you've done over the years as well. You've done an incredible amount of variation in your remixes. Like um, Belbertine Gilbertino, who I absolutely love, and uh, the Puppet Sisters as well, who I saw your video you did with them as well the other day as well. As me and my partner absolutely loved, don't get me high, and like it's um, you've done Duke Ellington as well. Now, how have you found it with your remixing done to you like you say your albums or your projects? Is that quite a different approach for you? Well, I'll tell you what, in some ways I prefer it, and and um, <clears throat> we'll talk about this a bit later maybe. But um, mm. the thing for me is is that. What I always like collaborating. So if you're doing a remix, it's somebody else's track, right? And it's like, I've done quite a lot of music for films and documentaries. And then it's somebody else's project. You know, you're kind of in a way serving somebody else's vision. And, and I work a lot with animators. And I actually like that. The remix thing is interesting because, you know, that's, it, you're working on somebody else's material. And actually, I think that brings out a different side of the cre creativity. You know, you're not the boss. I mean, one of the big come downs for me, one of the big sort of, <laughs> you know, learning experiences is that a few years ago, I got asked to do 
songs for a computer game called L.A. Noir, right? It's a oh, massive wow. role-playing game, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, uh, I got a phone call on Christmas Eve, right, from Los Angeles, and I wouldn't normally have answered it because I was, I was with my family, but uh, I thought, oh, Los Angeles, that could be, that could be uh, lucrative. So <laughs> I, answered, I answered the phone, and it was the guy from Rockstar Games in, in, in L.A., and they were doing this um, computer game called L.A. Noir. It's like set in the 40s. Uh, and, and his qu- first question to me was, um, <clears throat> could you write a song about a uh, heroin-addicted jazz singer who might be a pyromaniac? <laughs> and I said, totally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine what I know you, Stephen. That's just your cup of tea. I mean, that's ideal in a way, because it's sort of like it was like, they gave me a brief, you know what I mean? And I found it, I found it easier. So, and you know, so doing that project. But the interesting thing, the thing about that was, is that I've worked with quite a lot of filmmakers. And if you work with film, if you work in film, right, you know, it's not your project, and it doesn't really matter whether you've made a wonderful piece of music that fits this scene perfectly. Then they'll go and chop fifteen seconds out of the scene, right? And you'll be like, yeah, but that's going to ruin the music. And it's like, yeah, and it's like, you know, it's your opinion doesn't really matter that much. Well, in the computer game industry, right, you're a notch lower than that, right? Oh, wow. So even though I was writing the songs for that computer game, you were you were down there with the people who are providing the sandwiches and the security. You know, it's like, these guys do the security, these guys do the catering, and then there's the guy who does the music. Oh, right? wow. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, and actually, it, it, that was a sort of ego-bruising experience. But actually, at the same time, I, I quite enjoy it. It's a, so that was a very long, winded answer to your question. But <coughs> in terms of actually remixing and all that other stuff is that I, I like it because in some ways it takes the pressure off. You know, it's like you, you, you've got to turn your creativity to somebody else's vision. Yeah, I've always believed when you're doing these sort of projects like that, I've done, not on the level you've done, I've always working, love working with people. You get something from it every time you do. Even if it doesn't go the way you want it to go, you come away with some sort of it's experiences, really, I suppose, isn't it? So, Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure you've found this. I mean, haven't you had the experience where you've done something for somebody and Brett come back and said, like, I'm not sure about that. And you're thinking, hold on a minute. But then they push you to do something else. And even though at first you might be quite resistant to it, then in the end it's actually yeah, it ends up being better in some way because you're you're being pushed out of your hat. Do you know what I mean? We've all got hat. Ha- I don't know about you, but I've got a habitual way of working. And sometimes you know if you're working with somebody else, they're like, well, we're not interested in that. We want to we want to do this. And and I found that generally to be a, a really useful way to to you know to grow a bit creatively. Yeah, I think you have to as an artist, really. There is a natural growth with it. I think, obviously, you've been in a band as long as you have done now, really. The band would have grown in a natural progression over time anyway. So and that's why. And I know you were telling me lots about, about the soundtracks you've done as well. So but like you said, but interestingly now, um, obviously, if people are interested, the real Choose to Weld is now about to enter. It's um, You're about to get to the end, of the end of the road now, aren't you, really? So you're starting up your, to tell me already, a trilogy of new albums to finish off with, so. Right, so what happened was, is that the la- the la- I put a llama, I put Songs of the Last Werewolf, which was a few years ago now, and um, <clears throat> after that, I got involved um, in several other projects. We, we carried on doing small releases, um, and then I was in films, and then involved in various sort of musical-related projects for quite a long time. Um, and then I was thinking, well, you know, what's going to happen with, with Real Tuesday World? What am I going to do with it? And I decided that I wanted to end it. And the reason is, is that 
most bands uh, seem to just fizzle out or they break up acrimoniously, right? Well, I can't break up acrimoniously because it's really mainly just me uh, <laughs> and, and, and Don, my bass player. You know, so I'm sort of schizophrenic to break it, break it with myself in some way. Um, so the other thing is, is you, when you fizzle out, you know, you just, you just one day people turn around and say, what happens to that band? And it's like, well, they just stopped making records. That's normally what happens. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that because I've really loved this project and I want to bring it to a definite end. And so having recorded material over the last, you know, quite a few number of years, always recording stuff and then making new stuff now, I thought I'm going to do it and I'm going to end it quite definitely. And to put out three albums, um, originally I wanted to put a triple album out, but I was told that that's commercial suicide, to which my response was, and. But then, um, uh, uh, <laughs> so the people say it's too big a meal. It probably is too big a meal. So I'm going to split, space it out over three records and, then, and that's it, it's done. It's not like I'm when that's done, Andy, that I'm like not going to make music again or not be creative. No, but I, as, as a sort of thing, it'll be 20 years and it's like, that's enough, you know, move over. Let somebody else have some space, you know. Indeed, and you've got like it. So you, from what I can see, you, you'll have other projects on the go after this anyway. So who's to say you want, you want to do a new band or do some more film work or something under a slightly different name? Well, so Yeah, I want to work with people. I want to collaborate with people, <coughs> you know, do, work on their stuff. So for sure, I'll, I'll do that. But as, as, as a sort of thing itself, Real Tuesday World is going to be over, yeah. Yeah, I can believe it. I can see, like, it, everything comes in and naturally, like, you're not going to be like you two going in the 90s, are you, or the Rolling Stones? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can see us, but start. Exactly. So, no, I know what you mean with that. So, <laughs> as it, you don't want to go full circle. The very first gigs you do when there's like two, three people there, sound engineer and, you know, your brother. You, know, you, don't, want to end up, and you don't want to end up in the same way, do you? You know, you've gone the full circle, done, done the world tour, and then you end up with just your. Sound engineer and your brother again. <laughs> no, I've done it. I've done it. I ain't doing it again. <laughs> my brother, my brother, who hopefully won't listen to this, isn't the best best person of my art sometimes, supposed to appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. Now, I want to ask you also a couple of bits of I've talked about today as well. I've been watching a number of your videos and I love the, the way you, the animation has been used with them. So, obviously, like, I know your gigs have been like that as well. So, what made What's made the uh, the RT animation coming to you, your gigs a lot, and your videos? So what happened? Uh, just really good good fortune again. I mean, as, as I like to say, like you know, how an email can change your life. Um, you know, I still I'm still always quite keen to look at my inbox because an e you know a couple of times my life has been changed by an email. And what happened was is that way back after I'd done the album My Lucifer that I mentioned, I got an email from somebody. Um, he said, who said, you know, my name's Alex Badovsky, I'm a Russian, and I've made an animation to one of your songs. Is that okay? And I emailed him back and said, I think so. Can I see it? Uh, and he sent me this animation, and it was for a track called Terminally Ambivalent Over You. And I was blown away. And it was just like, what? That's amazing. So, um, you know, we got into conversation and stuff. And then with Alex, um, who's Russian, but he lives in Brooklyn, or he lived in Brooklyn then. Um, we went on to do another animation uh, called Bath Time in Clerkenwell, and that was a huge. It was a huge hit. He won loads of awards for it, and um, on the animation sort of festival circuit. And as a result of that, what happened is, is that other animators started to get in touch with me and ask me if I'd do stuff for them or if they could do stuff for me. So it really happened like that. And then uh, I think some of the ones that you're referring to, um, like with the Papini sisters and. 
is that they're animated by George Ford, who's another American, and they're done in a kind of sort of 30s, 40s style. Um, they take forever. It's a real labour of love uh, that George done. We've done four with him. And um, uh, I hope to finish off this whole cycle with one more with him. So it was really just good fortune, actually, you know. Well, a lot of it is really this sort of thing. It's look at the drawers, you tell me. Like I said, pick up the right phone call, stumble onto the right email. You can be, who knows what will happen. Yeah, that's, great. Well, that's great stuff. So I'm looking forward to it now. People obviously wondering that the first of the three albums is, is out on the 7th of May, which well, this will be released about the same date. So do you have any sort of rough ideas when the second and third albums are going to be on the way? Yeah, I was planning to put the second one out at the end of the year, but I think it'll probably be January now, only because of the whole COVID thing's pushed everything back in terms of getting, because they're all on vinyl as well. Uh, and so that, that whole COVID thing has pushed the whole production cycle back a bit. So um, uh, I think January 2022 for the second one, and then finish off in the autumn of 2022. Uh, play some shows. Hopefully, play some shows if, we, if we're allowed to go to gigs again by then, and then that's it. I'm free. You're a free man at last, <laughs> aren't you? So, yeah. have you found then your music work has it and the production has it changed much over COVID for you? Then, right, that's a great question. Um, I think, um, in a strange way for me, no, because I've mostly I work on my own anyway with with guest singers and and, and Don, my bass player, and the back, live. Uh, I've got I've had a big band of seven people. Um, but generally speaking, I, I work in a studio on my own, so um, it's not changed that much, actually. And um, in some ways, I, I feel really awkward saying this, but I can say it quite a bit, is that lockdown has suited me quite well um, because I'm a bit of an introvert and, and, and I like working and having an excuse to carry on working at all hours. And of course, when you can't go out anywhere and there's nothing to do, you know, then you don't have to make the same excuses as you normally do when people say, do you want to come out for the evening? <laughs> yeah. Don't get allowed to. <laughs> I, I can relate to that one straight away. So. <laughs> you, like that. You, you enjoy lockdown, have you, Andy? Not really. I'm, di I'm diabetic, so I've okay. had to stay in. I've had to stay inside with a lot of shielding, so yeah, yeah. it's not been fun. But it's you've learned to adapt to different ways, I think, really. I've just uh, I say that, and I do feel a bit good to it, because I'm, and I'm not making light of it. I know it's been incredibly difficult for 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 most people and and also i think that in terms of musicians i think it's been obviously it's been incredibly painful i mean i'm sure like you i've got friends and like fact the papini sister marcella papini is a very good friend of mine you know performing for her not only is it way that she's made a living but it's like in her blood she needs to perform she needs to play live do you know what i mean yeah there's and such a what i've seen of them there's such a performance-based group they are them three of them straight to yeah. places like yeah, so not not actually been able to go on stage and like you know interact with an audience and and, and play her stuff live for her is painful. Um, so um, you know I've, I've not really been in that situation. I've got to say I am itching to get out and play, um, as, as I'm sure you are. You know, it's like I want to get out there and actually do events in in you know with people in rooms uh, and do that again. I'm I'm very keen to do that. So you know, bring it on. No, I agree completely. Looking forward to it. Let's hope it's short as soon then, definitely so. Now, the last thing I want to talk about to you today is obviously is about your podcast, which Rosie didn't tell me about actually. So I only found out. Oh no, she I'm lying, she did. I was a bit late getting onto your podcast, Bureau of Lost Culture. So and I've heard you not your current episode, the one before, but I said Barrett. But I'm gonna play the guy, I'll get onto the other one when I can get a chance. But um, where did your podcast come from then? Bureau of Lost Culture. 
Right, so that's, 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 that's quite a long story. So one of the things that I've been doing in the last few years since the last album came out is that I, we, we've always played in Russia a lot, right? Partly because of the, these Russian animators that I told you about. And when I started to go to Russia about 10 years ago, um, <clears throat> um, I came across a whole uh, story about forbidden music, forbidden rock and roll and jazz in the Soviet Union in the 1950s and 60s. And that turned into a project called the X-Ray Audio Project, uh, you, which you know people can check out, xrayaudio.com. Uh, and it's about strange records that were made in the Cold War time. And I got asked about three years ago to do uh, a programme, a radio programme for Soho Radio, which is a community station in London, independent. Uh, so I did a series of five programmes on sort of Russian underground music and connected stuff. Um, and then when that, was, when that was over, I was really enjoying doing them. And then they just asked me if I wanted to carry on. Um, and so it sort of metamorphosized into a podcast program about counterculture and um, stuff, underground stuff from the 50s and 60s and uh, more recently from 70s. Um, so it just really, uh, a bit like, you know, you were saying earlier, it's, I've not done anywhere near as many of you have. I mean, I think only, only in the sort of late twenties. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's just telling stories, interviewing people, you know, you know, you were saying earlier, it's like, I love hearing people's stories and, um, you know, particularly sort of lost stories. And that was the idea of lost culture, maybe stories which have been a bit forgotten for some reason. Um, with Sid Barrett, that's an interesting one for me. And the reason Sid Barrett, obviously people probably know him, you know, the original founder of Pink Floyd, you know, obviously quite famous. But what was interesting was is that I was interviewing a lot of people who were around in the 60s and 70s, and he kept appearing in the background like a ghost in those people's lives. You know, that they knew him and he, he almost seemed like a, a ghostly figure in that sort of music scene of the late 60s and 70s. And of course, what happened to him was quite tragic. So, you know, uh, we you know, wanted to tell that story about him. And so that's really how it came about. And it's, it's, it's a conversation just like this, this one is, you know, but really it tends to be with old people who were around in the 60s and 70s, yeah. Or our time completely, yeah, but I get you. <laughs> Definitely that one. So, um, is do you um, obviously I can see the episodes obviously aren't like on a weekly basis, are they? They tend to come out what every couple of weeks. Is that does that sound yeah, about right? Does it? Yeah, two a month, yeah, yeah, two a month. I thought that makes sense sometimes because when, when I'm doing these, I just chat, I just chat base, but those are when I the one I played, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna go for the rest. Definitely, they sound like you, you can tell that they're a label of love for you, so um. When you're doing these episodes, do you have a sort of episode, a topic in mind all the time? Do you, how do you approach this? Do you have like lists of people you want to write about and research all the time? Is it, or do you just build them up one after the other? No, I've got a list actually. I've got a list of as as probably like you know, I've got a list going, and then suddenly I'll I'll think of something and think I've got to got you know got to get that, and it might be um, <clears throat> you know uh, so. It's not really about music, actually, but there's been a couple of mu musical things recently. Um, and so, you know, I want, I'd like to do, I might think, oh, I'd, I'd like to do a programme about, like, comedy in the 60s, you know, like alternative comedy, you know, and then try and find somebody who can talk about that, either who was doing it or at least knows about it, you know. So um, I've got an interesting one coming up soon, which is about skinheads. Um, because the interesting thing for me about skinheads is that, in the 60s was that 
you, I, I associated it with like kind of right wing bother boy type racists, you know, uh, but of course, and I think that was a bit that was true, but then you start digging into it and you realize that in the eighties and nineties, there were all these uh, skinheads, like two tone skinheads, you know what I mean? And who were like the opposite, actually, they were kind of left wing and sort of like, you know, they were, they were black and white people together and stuff like that. So I thought, well, that's an interesting subject, isn't it? Skinheads, you know, so well, I've got a guy talking about skinheads. So. Oh, cool, cool. Look, if people look back to your archive, you can see you've got a wide variety of people there. And I can see Billy Bragg's names come up and then um, Stephen Tintin Duffy, who I used to love his material, material with the lilac time. And I saw them live when I was about 17, so... Very, very, very so good, right? So good, right? The Lilac Time, right? I mean, so good. And he, and he's a that's a, that I've got to say, I recommend that episode. He's a great, he's a great guy, Stephen. Really good, yeah. Yeah, I only found out. I think it was oh god, I was very young when I got into them. I only found out the reference Lilac Time to Nick Drake much later on. So that's why you've got like, you just do like, and I got to Nick Drake much later on. So it's like no brilliant, brilliant band who are well worth checking out. And Billy Bragg's Billy Bragg's Billy Bragg, basically, because I know people that know Billy Bragg, so. Like I said, but it's now you've got really it looks it's a really good oh, podcast. So, so you you know do you know Billy Bragg yourself? No, never met him. Never met him. Right. I know people have met him. <laughs> you know, the interesting thing for me with that with that right hand it was is that it wasn't just like an interesting conversation, it was like an education. He's a very <laughs> he's a very impressive person. I mean, I felt educated by him. You know what I mean? It was like he knows his stuff. I was I was actually the conversation was about skiffle, right? This sort of music that they made in the late 50s and 60s. I know this name, Skiffle, and it's like, it's some part of me thinks it's like a flat, is it a flat thing that you fry something with, or is it like, you know, it's. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> my, my dad's 85, and my dad's Tommy what, Skiffle, what that Skiffle was. Right, yeah, he, so he, he, he grew that, up in the time, yeah, so he knows that, it is. that generation. I kind of knew something to do with music, and I thought, well, you know, I kind of find out about Skiffle. So, uh, so, and of course, Billy Bragg's written a book on it. And, uh, you know, for him, he talks about Skiffle as being like, the first punk, you know, it was like yeah, first DIY music that people could make for themselves, you know, in bars and in the kitchen, and you know, you could hammer away with just a guitar and a sort of biscuit tin or something. So, um, so for him, it was like this is what punk was, you know, in the fifties. And so it, we did this interview, and I've got to say, man, it was just like it was like being schooled, and not just careful, <laughs> but like he's a he's a he's a he's a proper proper guy, you know. And, and just totally, still, completely, um, still, completely committed. Yeah, I think really like the career something like that is an answer. Like that, they were going like he's been going what early eighties, wasn't he? So it's like it's to keep going as long as he has on, probably before that actually. <laughs> but respect guess, anybody I, that carries on. I, that long. Well, he always says he's he always says he, he describes himself as a punk. So I guess he got must he must have got going in the seventies, I suppose. Yeah, must have been really one way or another. Unless yeah, either way. Fantastic bloke, what I've heard. So I know people from a festival that I've had him on, so, and they told, me, they told me what a great bloke he was. So, and the time he, he headlined for them, and I, I won't name the festival, I couldn't get down. <laughs> I could have got could have got him for nothing as well, but happens, doesn't it? So <laughs> we've won, you know. <laughs> Brilliant. Anyways. He's still playing. I mean, he, he told me that he, I mean, I think he's, he's meant to be touring this year, but like everybody else, it's been postponed and stuff. But he said he's not going to, he's not going to tour until he can, um, can, as we were talking earlier, he's not going to tour until he can go to the barbers. <laughs> I mean, that applies to, applies to all of us at the moment, that one. The <laughs> people are wondering today, my hair is getting very long at the back, and it's the longest I've had it in about 10 years. And uh, Stephen, I think yours is probably like, said, you need a good pair of clippers I'm, on it like mine, doesn't it? So. I'm, I'm getting worryingly close to having a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Um, I, I tell you about my hair used to be when I was in my late my early thirties. It went straight down past my shoulders. Um, my brother saw a picture of me and my partner recently. And he turned around and said to me, "Are you growing it that long again?" I said, "I don't want to." <laughs> <laughs> but if you can't get to the barbers, who knows what's going to happen? <laughs> well, Billy Billy Bragg refused to. I, did, I had to do my uh, interview with him with via Zoom, of course, and uh, but he refused to put his camera on because he said, I, "I don't mind." Um, you know, I don't mind uh, doing face to face, but I don't want you to see my hair. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it! Oh, I love it! Oh, that's brilliant. Don't hair. <laughs> and of course, people are wondering. We we do have the video on today, but you're not going to see how bad our hair is. <laughs> oh, please, no, no. <laughs> anyway, that's pretty warm with questions today, Stephen. Obviously, if people want to find out more about you about your band, where are the best going? Yeah, so TuesdayWeld.com, W-E-L-D, as in welding, as in, you know, something that you get stick pieces of metals together, uh, .com is the best thing to do. And, um, or uh, you can join us, of course, on um, the usual places, Real Tuesday Weld on Facebook and, and stuff. So, yeah, I would love to hear from people. And I, know you're not, I know I've seen you on Twitter, I've seen Instagram as well, so you've been in all the usual networks anyway. You, so. All the usual stuff, yeah, yeah. And listen, Andy, thanks a lot for inviting me, I really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, it's that been was... great fun today, it's been great fun. I'm, and I'm looking forward to when I'm back in the office next, whenever that is. I'll be, please know it's my job, I'm be shielding at home. I've got your podcast about to subscribe to an iTunes and it's brilliant. So I'm going to be, when I'm because I can listen to a podcast and iPod in work, I'll be doing that first couple of days back in work in April. Oh, <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Brilliant. It's been a pleasure today, Stephen. So hang around, mate. We need to talk a quick bit further. Good, good, good. This good. is Andy Ent yeah. signing out. It's been a pleasure today. See you soon, guys. Spock on, mate.